0: This is the word of the Lord. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Parasites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are men, brothers. Is not the whole land before you Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring or your seed also can be counted." Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We ask this morning that you would draw our attention to see your goodness your grace, the peace which you give to your people, how you reorient us and reform us into the people that you would have us to be. Let us see this morning how that's working in the life of your servant Abram, that we might see the greatness of Christ, who is the focal point of all of Scripture, and how his greatness and his goodness and his accomplishments for us, are working out in our lives today. Would you make it so we ask, Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, what I want us to think about this morning is that many people in our world and in our church, and I'm not just talking about our local church, although I think this includes us, but also um, the church at large, desire to be generous people. I think that there is something within many people as a desire. Now, how we act generously, that's a matter of debate for, for others to, to discuss. I just want us to say that there is a sense in which I think people generally want to be generous. They often aren't, but they have a desire to be. The other thing that I think people often want is to be people who are able to be peacemakers or at least have the ability to be at peace with other people. We often aren't, but there is a desire to be at peace. And what I want us to begin to look at this morning is that we start to see some real clues here from this text about how generosity works and how peace really works, how that happens, how we can become transformed to be those kind of people. As we look at what's happened here in this particular passage, we recognize, and that's why I went back to the very beginning of this chapter, we recognize that there's a link between this passage and the one we looked at a couple of weeks ago. That passage a couple of weeks ago was the scene of Abram blowing it big time, of him failing miserably, of him proving once again that God has the ability to pick real winners of human beings to serve His cause. And I'm saying that sort of funny, but I'm saying it sort of seriously. Because Abram last week was a guy I can relate with. Abram this week is a guy I aspire to want to be more like. And what I'm saying to us is that what we see is, is that what stands behind all of this is the Lord. I continue to want to press us that the point of looking at the Scriptures is not to have a case in character studies. It's a case in the character, the main person of the Lord. And those who stand this side of the cross, we know that the Lord was most fully seen in the person and work of Jesus. So we want to see that this morning. We want to be like those Greeks who said to the uh, apostles, Sir, we would see Jesus. And so we come this morning to look at this text and say, Lord, we want to be the kind of people that you want us to be. And what the scriptures are saying to us, if you would be that kind of people, you have to see the Lord and all his goodness and all his grace. Well, I've kind of in some ways given you the punchline at the beginning, but that's okay because now I want to unpack how we get there, how we think about this. The first thing I want us to notice in this text is the idea of the reforming heart. Look at how this happens. It tells us that Abram comes out of Egypt really wealthy. He has lots of stuff. And and there's something that's kind of interesting about this, because he goes down into Egypt because there was a severe famine in the land, and he blows it, but he comes out with a whole lot of stuff. But one of the interesting things about this particular text is, is that prosperity actually brings discord. Do you see that? That that Actually, what we're going to see here is is that all this stuff they now have actually creates a problem. It creates division. And so, it's an interesting aspect of the text. I don't think it's the central point of the text, but it is something to keep in mind. It is part of the context. I think one of the big points that's being made here, though, comes in verse 4. It says he continued the journey all the way back to Bethel, to the, to the place between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. This is what it means to have a reforming heart. Does that make sense? One of the things I, I as part of the quote-unquote reformed tradition, I've often said, and I have other friends that think this too, we should get rid of the ED and get the ING back in that, the reforming tradition. Because there's a sense in which what I want you to see that's happening to Abram is, is that he's in a process of growing, of being reformed, constantly being reformed into the person that God would have him to be. He's seeing that he's not that person. He comes out of Egypt fully aware of that. He didn't say anything to Pharaoh. Pharaoh rebuked him harshly, and Abram had nothing to say but to hang his head, get his stuff, and get out. Now I want you to think about this, because I think something's being told to us really profound here. When we blow it big time, a lot of times our tendency is to become very self-oriented. I blew it. I screwed up. I let the Lord down. What in the world am I going to do? How could the Lord possibly ever use me again? This is just, I'm just worthless. I'm just a dog. And this is one of the beautiful things about having a regular pattern of coming back to church week in and week out is because what we see is what's happening here in Abram. Notice at the beginning of this chapter and the end of this chapter, the same thing occurs. There's there's an altar. And there's a calling upon the name of the Lord. There's this reforming, this reorientation, this reordering of the mind and of the heart and of the affections to what really matters, to where things really lie. Notice that Abram gets his mind off Abram and gets his mind in heaven. And if we might could have said, the, the sermon title could have been something like this. Abram was of the most earthly good because he got his mind back in heaven. Because that's how this chapter begins. Abram puts his eyes back to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm back. I wandered off, but I'm back. And part of the reason why Abram is able to see that is because God, even when he blew it, didn't forsake him. And we need to be people who begin to understand that reformation of the heart, reordering of the mind, restructuring of how we process the world, what the academy would call the paradigm shift. We need to realize that this is always going on. It's not something that we somehow just do one time. I shifted, I basically was this way, and then I became a Christian, and now everything is completely different. It is completely different, but you don't like to live that way. We keep going back. We keep running back to the old patterns, the old ways. That's why Scripture constantly says, don't go back to Egypt. Don't do what they do in the land of Canaan. Don't do what they did in Egypt. Change your mindset. Think differently. Be reformed in your person. And this is a process which is often painful it's a struggle what we're going to see today is that abram does something really wonderful and beautiful and we go yes that's it that's what we want to see and yet we're going to realize several chapters down the road he's going to be once again selling sarah off to the highest bidder so to speak and that's us it is a process it is a struggle it is a journey But it is one that we must never, never, never stop pursuing. And how do we keep pursuing it, we're going to look at today. But what I want you to see is is that the first thing that happens to Abram is that his heart is being reformed. Worship, which is what he is doing, is a time that we remember who God is and who we are. We come into His presence and go, Lord, I am that guy who blew it in Egypt. And You are that God who in Your mercy loves me still and is willing to let me return to this altar which I built in a better day to remember that You haven't forgotten me and to let You know that I have not forgotten You. Worship is... A setting the heart on God. It is once again reminding ourselves that though we often look for joy and happiness in other things, it can only be truly found in God. We come to worship. Abram came to worship to pull his affections away from the artificial objects of worship. Money, careers, relationships, approval, power, and control, among other things. You see that. Don't you see that a lot of that whole issue was famine? What am I going to do with my life? Look at the context of my relationships. I need to survive. I need to protect Sarah. And so he's crafting. Think about how that works approval, power. I need to be in control of this situation. That's us. We get afraid. We feel helpless. We feel like we don't have things under control. And so we try to start controlling things. We want to seek the higher ground of power. We're constantly maneuvering ourselves. And what we see is that through the act of worship, once again we come back and are reminded that it is in God we trust. Not because it's on our money, but because there is really a God who's trustworthy. And that's what we see in this text. Is that Abram has once again returned and said, God, do your work in me. Now, you might say, well, that's interesting, Dennis. That's interesting you would say that. How do you know what you're saying is true? Well, that's what we're going to spend the rest of this sermon unpacking is how we see that this is what happens to Abram. Abram becomes an embodiment of that Latin term, semper reformanda, always reforming. We see it. He is a man in progress, in work, being changed and transformed. And the second point, then, I want us to look at, the first one was the reforming heart. The second one I want us to look at is the peaceful heart. Look at how this whole thing unpacks. And Lot who went with Abram, verse 5, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. That's kind of a buzz term. Part of it's to tell you that these are the people that God is going to promise Pretty soon, you know, remember this, the book of Genesis was written to the people of Israel under Moses. So they know that they're about to go into the land to fight the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the Ites. And so it's, it's kind of a code term. They're still in the land. Now we see what part of the problem is. You know, there's only so much land. There's only so much area where the, the herds can feed. And so there's this strife, this conflict between Lot and Abram. Now remember, look at, look at what we have here. Abram is, or Lot is Abram's nephew. Abram has brought him along with him. He is carrying him with him into the promised land. And now there's strife between Lot and Abram. And now I want you to begin to look at what happens here. Abram does something that is astounding. Do you see what he does? Abram, who's been told that God was going to take him to this land and show it to him, God was going to give him this land, make him a great nation, do all these things, does this. Lot, pick where you want to go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Do you see what Abram doesn't do? He doesn't clutch and say, God promised this stuff to me. Deal with it. Get in line, boy. Know your place, son. Do you see the generosity? You almost start to hear the younger son, don't you? I need my inheritance. So I can go do with it as I please. And the father opens his hand and does the unthinkable and gives, him his, gives that son the inheritance while he's still alive, which was unthinkable at the time that Jesus tells that parable. Just like it's unthinkable that Abram would open up his hand and say, Lot, you pick. It's your choice. Now what we should see here, right? This, is, this would be the, the great moral play in this story is that Lot goes... Oh, Abram, wise and holy father, we know that God promised you this land and I'm just so grateful to get to hang out with you. Let's just figure out how we can spread out but stay together. That's not what we see. What we see is is a generosity that blows our minds. We really can't begin. It'd be like this. It'd be like me saying to my son Jeshua, Jeshua, here's the house. Here's the keys. If you want to live in this house, you can keep this house. If you want to live in another house, I'll go buy you one and set you up in that house. Is that starting to kind of get you the picture? Now that would... Presume that I actually had the resources to do such things, which we know I don't. But, it, but it's that kind of idea, though. Abram did have those kind of resources. And he generously gives to Lot. He doesn't clutch after his stuff. Don't you see it? Abram, who is wealthy, who has the riches, has all these things acts like a poor man and says, you do what you will. You pick. See, there's something that's happened in Abram. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Abram had become a man who once again had reoriented, reordered, restructured his reality and said, I'm not looking for cities here on earth. I'm looking for a city whose builder is God. I want something better. I'm looking for the Lord Himself, not the stuff. God, not the things. That's happening, and that becomes the key to generosity. As long as I'm looking at the stuff and need to be hanging on to the stuff and I'm not trusting that God knows how to take care of His people, I'm going to be a clutcher. I'm going to clutch it. Because someone might take it. Someone might not care for it the way I care. Someone might be irresponsible. We have all kinds of reasons for clutching stuff. But don't you see that when a heart gets focused on the Lord, that heart trusts the Lord. Not foolishly, not recklessly, but hopefully, God knows how to care for his people. And Abram is demonstrating that he really believes that. The second thing I want us to see that we learn from this passage is is that Abram is a man committed to peace. And this becomes really paramount because what I want you to understand is throughout Scripture, there's this notion of peace, of well-being, of wholeness. Abram is a man who's committed to that so much so that he's willing to say, I'm willing to give everything, the best of everything to Lot in order to maintain peace before this wicked people. That has to be somewhat instructive to us. How do Christians who differ operate with one another? What's the example they set when they differ? I mean, we know from Scripture, I mean, this whole passage gives us somewhat of a conundrum, doesn't it? Because we're told by Peter that Lot was a righteous man. That he wasn't somebody that hated God and just went off from God and never had anything else to do. We're told that God spares him Later on, because God has affection for Lot, because he's connected to Abram. That plays out so much that when the children of Israel come back through, God specifically says, you cannot take the land of Lot's children, Moab and Ammon. You cannot take the land of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Because that's Lot's offspring, and they are your kinsmen. See the same idea that Abram is using here. Let's not have this strife among us. We're men. Men ought not be this way, but especially brothers. That's why I don't like the way the ESV and some other translations translate, because they really, they don't give you what the Hebrew actually says. He says two things. We're men. And then he says brothers. And it's almost like what Abram's trying to get at is men ought not operate this way. And certainly the fact that we're related, we ought not act this way. It kind of gives you that understanding of a twofold thing. Human beings ought not act this way, but especially brothers ought not act this way. And we see Abram being determined to maintain peace. Peace. And we see that his son learns this because when Abimelech down the road, when Isaac has the same kind of problems with Abimelech, and Abimelech's men don't want him to have these wells, they keep filling up his wells, and Isaac just keeps moving further and further away, trusting the Lord that he'll take care of him. And the resolution of that text says, and finally, as he makes this treaty with Abimelech... His men come in and say, and we found a new well that's completely outside of the realm of where Abimelech and his men are. See, this principle that we're seeing here, this idea of peace, this idea of wanting and desiring to be at peace, Paul says, I do everything I can to be at peace with all men so that I might win some. And this is... A hallmark of scripture that we see Abram exemplifying. Peacemaker. I want to be at peace. You pick the best land. You decide what you want to do. I'm going to trust the Lord that he'll make everything okay. Yeah. What I don't want you to see necessarily is some self-righteousness in Abram, but he's just going... You know, you, you young punk, you just pick whatever you need. Really what I see is this great generosity, this great peace-loving man that Abram is becoming who wants to do what is good for others, even if it costs him in the present time, even if it's costly to him, which it is. Do you see the cost of being generous? You see the cost of being a peacemaker. Abram is laying himself out there. Now, is there anywhere else we see these kind of ideas in Scripture? Yes, but I want to read from there, Acts 15 is one place, 1 Corinthians 7 is another. James 3 is the one I want to read to you, though, from. Listen to what James says. James 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You think James thinks we ought to think seriously about being at peace, especially as brothers? Do you see it? Now, I want you to feel the tension because I want you to see very clearly this is not easy stuff, it's hard. How can we be generous? How can we be peacemakers? Hold on to that. Let's keep moving through the text. Abram also shows us, as I've already said, that he's looking again with the eyes of faith, not the eyes of fear. He's once again placed his fear upon the Lord, not upon man, not upon circumstances, not upon situations. Another thing we see in this text is, I think, going on here, is this idea of longing for a place of rest and striving to get it. I think that that's what's going on here with Lot. This is the one place I think that Lot shows us something that's very important and very key. Notice it tells us in verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, the land ceased to be that way after the Lord destroyed it. So when you look at that part of the region, you go, it doesn't look very well watered at all. Well, there's a reason for that. Fire and brimstone tends to make places that were once lush deserts. But we won't jump too far ahead. The point that I want you to see here is, notice the language that's used here, like the garden of the Lord, like Egypt. Lot looks up and says, I want to go where things look easy, where I can get back to the promised land. I want to get creation regained. And he goes for it. Calvin says this statement. It said, Lot was seeking paradise and he almost ended up in hell. Wow, that's some strong language. Lot was seeking paradise. He looked up and said, I want to go where the water and the source. Now, that's not necessarily an unwise. Understand this. Lot's been told he can do whatever he wants. Pick where you want to go. He looks up and says, there's the water. There's all this stuff. But he doesn't consider all the other things that go on with that. Because where there's a whole lot of water, where it looks like there's paradise, in a sinful world, guess what? Everybody else gathers there, too. And that's exactly what we see here. Notice that in the next part of this chapter, it tells us it's, it doesn't just, it's one of the few places that this word is used. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners. The last time we heard something like that was back with God and his anger at humanity in the flood. The wickedness of man was so great. And this is where Lot goes. And sometimes we're so convinced, we're so striving to get things to be beautiful and lush and wonderful that we forget that we're pilgrims. We're tent dwellers. We're longing for a city whose foundation is built by the Lord, not with human hands. We're longing for a holy government that is ruled by King Jesus. That's what we long for as Christians. We have to keep our minds focused there if we would be good citizens in this land or in any other land that God may call us to live in. It's first keeping our minds, our first citizenship first, trusting the Lord in that way. So the third point then I want us to look at as we continue to wrestle through this is the believing heart. Now look at what happens. This is astounding. Abram does this, and what we see is that God now comes as he starts to see this growth in Abram. Abram begins to catch a bigger vision of what God's doing. And I want to tell you that God does the same thing in our lives too. As we grow as Christians, how many of you have ever done this? You're reading your Bible, you're reading a chapter you've read a thousand times, maybe, if you read your Bibles a lot, and all of a sudden you read a verse and you go... Shazam! I've never seen that concept, that idea, that understanding of that text. Why do you think that happened? Because as we grow, God graciously gives us more insight into what He's doing and what He's up to. That's exactly what happens here. It's not some magical quotient. It's just the fact that Abram is growing as a Christian. And it's just like this, right, folks? I mean, you know, people will always say, when's the right time to talk to your children about the birds and the bees, about sex? Well, when they start asking those questions. And you only answer, just just a word of wisdom, you only answer the questions they're asking. And you remember that they are six, not 16. And you answer that question. And in many ways, it's just like that with God as he's growing us up. Is that he is answering and wrestling and showing to us the things as he's growing us up. And we're seeing that happen in Abram. As Abram begins to take action, trusting the Lord, God says, Now you're ready to handle more good stuff. And look at what he tells him. It's really phenomenal what he tells him. He says two things to him that enlarges the blessing or enlarges his understanding of the blessing that God had said to him. First, he says this, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your seed forever. So what we see is that Abram was first told back in 12, Go to a place I'll show you. So Abram shows up and he kind of walks around a little bit. but he So he knows this is the general area, but now God starts to get specific. However far you can see that direction, 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 that's yours and to your offspring. The second thing he does to enlarge this is we don't understand this when we hear that I'll make you a great nation. We tend to think about like, you know, America, Russia. I mean, we just tend to think about these massive extensives of humanity. But back then, you realize there weren't that many people. So to be a great nation didn't take that much. You know, you got a couple hundred people, you're you're a power to be reckoned with. Okay, that's what you need to get in your mindset. So, you know, if Abram's got two or three hundred people, he's a mighty nation. But notice what God says to him. He says, lest you get confused about what I'm telling you, if you can count the dust, that's how big you're going to be. Just let that soak in for a minute. George, if you were told something like that, if you, the Lord told you, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and great, there's going to be so many of you that if you could count the dust, that's how many. Would that not, maybe, I don't want to cause you know, your heart, that kind of caused you to pause a little bit, wouldn't it? Doesn't that, I want you to feel the magnitude of this. You get all this land because you did absolutely nothing. And I'm going to give you this great seed because you did absolutely nothing. Except we're an idol worshiper back over in Ur of the Chaldees. Do you see the generosity of God to people as they just take Him at His word and start to live like His word? That doesn't mean they're earning anything from God. It just goes to show God told them what they should do. He gave them the ability to believe it. He showed how good He'd be even when they screw up and they actually take him at his word in this small way. And he says, oh, and now let me show you even more incredible things. All because I love you. See, that's why Paul can say you, in Ephesians, this grace that he lavished. I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, when you get really expensive honey. Honey. You know, or, or really expensive jelly or jam, or it's the kinds you really like. You tend to be kind of sparing, especially with your kid's sandwich. You know, you kind of really, you know, I don't know the difference. In it you just, you know, really right here. That's not. It's like you're the little kid. You're the you're the you're the one year old. You're the you're the two year old. And God, basically says here, I'm just going to dump the whole the whole jar, just smear it all over that sandwich, Man, Just just go for it. In our family, there's this tradition where we would take, when you have your first birthday, we buy this massive birthday cake. And what you get to do is you have the freedom to basically annihilate the cake. It's your first birthday. Just get after it. Unfortunately, this is one of the times I'll have to just give you Olivia a dollar. I still have the video where Olivia, when she had that massive cake, and we said, honey, just go for it. Just, just grab into it. She goes... And, uh, 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 and we're like going yes and I want you to understand the reason why I'm using this because that's kind of the way we are we really don't think God's like you, me, I really can stick my hands into the cake Now I think the reason why Olivia didn't want to do it is because she didn't want to get her hands dirty <laughs> that's the kind of little girl she was but I want to say that lots of times we don't want to do it because we don't really believe God's telling us the truth he can't really be that he doesn't really mean that I mean, free grace? No, there must be. It can't really be. Where's the catch? Where's the punchline? Real goodness, goodness that surpasses all my dreams, can't be. I mean, we all know, right, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And on this place, that's probably a good rule to live by. But in this sphere, it's a bad rule to live by. He's better than you think. See, that's what he's doing to Abram. Abram, you've been faithful and little. Now let me show you what I've really brought you into. You're going to be the father of a great seed. A seed that can't be numbered. And we see the reality of that born out in Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant or offspring or seed, heirs according to the promise. What promise? This promise. That land? All that promise is ours if we're in Christ. You see that. Abram's believing heart began to see. And see, what I want you to say is, whatever God's promised to Abram, that's ours. If we're his seed, that promise is to him and we're part of that promise. We're part of that blessing. We're part of that provision. We're in that aspect of life. And God's calling us to believe, to trust, To know, The last thing I want us to see in this text before we conclude is this. Look at what Abram does. Because God says, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Here's what happens. Abram, who's never going to get to see this land be his, gets up and starts to walk around like it is. What are the people who are Christians promised? What are the things we're promised that is ours by inheritance? Jesus tells us it's ours. This planet. This planet is God's people. This is our planet. This is our Father's world. And he tells us that he will grant this to us. The meek, the humble, the peace lover will inherit the earth. Now, I don't want to sound like a prosperity gospel kind of person. I'm not, I'm not talking about that kind of thing, but I do want you to think about this. What I'm trying to say to you is, how would it look if we started walking around this world like this is our inheritance? How would we start to think about it? This is, this is mine. God, this is This is ours? and you're going to clean it all up in the end, it's going to be even better than what it is right now? That's right. How would you start to live? How would you start to think about your neighbors? How would you start to think about your city? How would you start to think about the realities around you? See, Abram starts to walk in the land by faith, believing that this is his inheritance. And so we see him being a generous, gracious, peacekeeping person, even as he makes treaties with people, he knows God doesn't have a great future for. He's going to find that out in Genesis 15. He still continues to operate as a person who says, this is all mine. I operate from a place of strength. Not my own strength, but God's strength. And when I do that, I quit being afraid because I know He's for me. He loves me. He is my helper and my keeper. Now here's how we know. This is the big conclusion that you need to see because that all sounds great, but if you miss this point, you miss everything. The only way that was able to be a compass for Abram is the only way it can be accomplished for us. While Abram does an amazing thing in saying he won't clutch after the promise of God, we read about it in our affirmation of faith, the real reality that lies behind it. What secures all this for us is the person and work of Jesus. And what we see in Jesus, we're told in Philippians is, that while He was equal to God, He was God, He did not clutch the riches of heaven. He didn't clutch it. He emptied His hands of it and came and became one of us he put himself in the place of a slave. That's what we see Abram doing. He really lowers himself to the place of a slave and says, Lot, you dis- you're the- in the master's place. But we see the greater illustration of that, the perfect illustration of that, the reality of it, not no longer an illustration in Christ, who doesn't clutch. He gives up. And he comes after people like you and me who aren't like Lot who goes to live close to the city of Sodom. We were in the city of Sodom. And I want you to understand what the Scriptures teach us is that Jesus left the beauty of heaven, the glory of heaven, the wonder of heaven to become a great sinner. That's how great a Savior He is. He became a great sinner. The greatest of all sinners. He who knew no sin had never done anything wrong, had all of that poured out on Him so that we might have the riches of heaven. That we might have an inheritance that can't be taken away. So that we might know the true and living God and be accepted by Him. That's the point of this text ultimately. That's the focal point. It's saying, look. Keep looking forward. Keep pressing forward until you get to Jesus. Jesus also shows the reality of how we're able to be peacemakers. It's because He was willing to even be separated from His Father so that we, we might be at peace with God. See, we really need to come to a place where we begin to understand how great a salvation we have been given. And as we do that, what we see is that God is gracious to continue to unfold to us the realities that he is at work in heaven and to continue to bless his people. And we pray that God would make it so. Amen.